Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, With brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Fervent in serving the Lord. Patient in tribulation and prayer. Let's pray. Father, I just pray, Lord, that for uh, your word this morning. Oh, God. Amen. When I was in prayer late on Friday night, was a lot. Was up in my office on the top floor of, of the house here, and I from my heart is overpowering. Is overpowering everything else. I to God to get out to God. Every day I had every other fear, every other by this by this cry, this confession. Lord, we have made about ourselves. Lord, we have made Lord, we've made our lives this ourselves give us, Lord. Oh God, forgive us, give us, forgive us. We've made this world we have made life decision after life decision after life decision without presenting it to you, Lord, first. And then wait to hear what your response was for my life. Not waiting, not worshiping, not acknowledging. We have made this world. Forgive us, Lord. Lord, what do we do? What do we do to make the world do it? This is the this was a cry of my heart. But, but indeed in Romans twelve verses ten, eleven, and twelve it looks like the world making the world. How we do that. What does the church look like? What do you look like when you're new? Here is what is so striking about, about them. So, so it's, it's 10, 11, and 12. There are seven commands. Look at verse 10. Be one another. That, that's a command for me to feel something. How am I supposed to feel something that I don't feel? I can always do something even if I don't want to do it, but I can't feel something I can't feel. I can't force myself to feel. But in these verses, Romans 12 verses 10 through 11. These verses are commanding you and me to feel something. But that's impossible. That is unnatural. And that would be correct. It is supernatural. 
Obeying a command to feel when you don't feel requires the supernatural power of God in your life. Christianity is not a willpower religion. It's a supernatural religion. But before we get into these seven commands, I, I want to talk about four things required if the supernatural is ever going to be, or, or whether, if four things that are required for you to be filled with the supernatural in order for you to obey these things. Four things, quickly. You must be born again by the Spirit. You, you can't be kindly affectionate to someone you don't like. You can't rejoice in hope. You can't be fervent in spirit, which by the way means boiling in the Greek. I don't know why they didn't translate it that. It means to boil. You can't boil in the spirit, meaning being excited about God. You, you, you can't just do that unless you have the Spirit of God, unless there's a supernatural birth, unless you've been born again. Jesus explains in John chapter 3 that, a natural, that man has a natural birth from his mother's womb, but at that time, he, she, is spiritually dead. He or she must have a spiritual birth. A supernatural birth. By asking Jesus Christ to come into his, her life as Lord and Savior. At that point, the Holy Spirit comes in and enables you to do the supernatural and to feel also supernaturally. So, so that you feel like Jesus feels. And that you even like what Jesus like. You're fond of what Jesus is fond of. Obeying a command to feel when you don't feel requires that you're born again. Number two, it requires that you pray. As the Bible says in Romans chapter 7, that even though you have the Spirit of God, you still have sin that dwells in you, which will cause you to which will, will cause you to not have the feelings you're commanded to feel. So what's the solution to that? Uh, you pray. Lord, you, you've commandment, commanded me to feel. To, 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 to feel for this person. To, to rejoice. To have joy and hope. To, to, to serve you with a fervency, with a boiling of my spirit. Lord, help me. That's not where I'm at. Help me, Lord. Number three, you have to act by faith. Acting by faith often requires acting before feeling. But, but by, by faith, you just, for example, you, you befriend someone you don't, you don't like. You, you act before the feelings. God will take care of the feeling. And then number four, you have to remember Romans chapter 12, verse 1. In order to obey a command to feel, number one, you have to be born again. Number two, you, uh, you need to pray. Number three, you need to uh, act by faith. But number four, you got to remember Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Let me tell you, Calvary Chapel, 
every verse in Romans chapter 1 is tied directly back to this verse. What does the verse say? It says, and I'm quoting the NIV here, it says, in view of God's mercy. In light of God's mercy, because of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifice to Him. In other words, Calvary Chapel, consider the fire and torment of hell that you totally deserve for making your world about you rather than God. But He saved you by subjecting, by inflicting His own Son with the judgment, the fire, the torment of hell in your place on the cross. And so by mercy, God saved you. You were saved when you go, Calvary Chapel into the deep, 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 deep place with God and consider the mercy by which He saved you. You and me, we were so deserving of hell. We put the Son of Glory on the cross where His blood poured forth and His groans of, of pain were also poured forth. We put Him there. We deserve hell for that. But He saved you. He saved you when you're not feeling something. When you're not feeling it, dive into the mercies of God. Cry out to the Lord and, and say, Lord, show me the mercy of my salvation. And those feelings, those affections, as the Puritans call them, that you never thought were possible, you'll start to feel. So number one, you got to be born again. Number two, you got to pray. Number three, you got to act by faith. And number four, you've got to dive deep. Don't think you'll ever experience the feelings you're commanded to feel if you don't dive deep and consider the cross and what was going on there. Paul came to the Corinthians and he says, I, 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 I resolved to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Why did Paul say that? Because that's where we find the deep mercy of God which compels us, propels us to the place of obedience. Not only with doing, but with feeling. So an example, we have seven commands before us this morning. And first example that we have in verse 10 of a command to feel. Verse 10 says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. This is what it looks like when you make your world about God and not about you when you're kindly affectionate to one another. Now, both kindly affectionate and brotherly love, the root word, uh, it's the Greek word phileos, it means like. 
It, it means to be fond of. It means to have affection for. And this is what you feel for your favorite dog, your, your favorite food, your favorite cat, your favorite movie. Be kindly affectionate with brotherly love with one another. No exceptions. That's a feeling. You say, well, Pastor Steve, what about that expression that we hear from so many preachers? Well, you don't have to like people. You just have to love them. And guess what, Calvary Chapel? That's nowhere in the Bible. That, that's in the world's Bible. That's in the just be self-righteous and, and try to justify myself and write my own Bible. But there's nowhere in the Bible. There's no exceptions. It says the verse, be kindly affectionate to one another. Except for that person who is socially awkward. No, it doesn't say that. Except for that person who, uh, they don't speak English very well. Uh, it, no, it doesn't say that. Except for that person who's really heavy and they're insecure. No, no, it doesn't say that. It says, be a kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Listen, in a crisis, when people are, in a, uh, are full on in a crisis, usually the first thing to go is this very thing. Brotherly love, affection, kindly, be kindly affectionate for, uh, for each other. First thing to go, but not in God's world. Number two, Romans chapter 10. It says, in honor, give preference to one another. Now this would be the first one that there's not a, f the only one of the seven that there's not a feeling attached to it. But it's an extraordinary command. In honor, giving preference to one another. When you, in honor, give preference to one another, you make the world about God, not about you. Listen, Calvary Chapel, so many times I read this and I think, oh yeah, this is about the potato salad at Thanksgiving. You know, you're at the end of a line getting food and there's only enough potato salad for one person uh, and, and, and there's just two people left. It's you and one person in back of you. You think of this verse and in honor, you giving preference to the other, you give them the potato salad. And that's good. That is Christianity. But let me tell you, the real thing is so, so, so much deeper and painful and, and life-altering, life-shaking than that. Consider the environment that we're in today. I've been reading these stories about Italy and Spain. Actually, uh, uh, one of the Spain stories, we've heard about it firsthand from someone who knows a doctor in ICU. So many coronavirus victims on respirators that when a younger person gets to a hospital floor, they, re they have to remove an older person from the respirator 
and give it to the younger person and the older person dies. And I was thinking about that. And allowing this verse in honor, give preference to one another and, and letting it do its deep work and, 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 and thinking in that situation, would I be willing to say, no, I don't want the respirator. Not if it means their life. Give them the respirator. In honor, giving preference to that other person. Some of you doctors say, oh, that's not how hospitals work. It wouldn't be your choice, maybe. But what if it was? You say, well, I have kids. Okay. But could you imagine your kids growing up with that legacy, their mother or father dying in that way? 1 John chapter 3.16 But by this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Could you imagine your children growing up knowing mom or dad died in that way? What that would do, what that would produce in their lives. Now I have to hit the pause button at this time because I'm a Bible teacher, and I don't want to give you any false, uh, uh, false interpretations or lead you down a path that you shouldn't be going. You can't make this passage into a law. John chapter 1, verse 17 says, Moses came to give the law, Jesus came to give grace and truth. Last thing you want to do is make a law out of any New Testament passage. That's, that's Moses. That's not Jesus. We're led by the Spirit. We don't make laws out of these things. Sometimes you need to have the humility to allow someone to give you preference over them. But listen, Calvary Chapel. Don't just breathe a sigh of relief when I say that. This verse and verses like it, 1 John 3.16, we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren are what has made our precious blood-bought faith in which we know, we can know, what's going to happen after we die. It's verses like this that have given the Christian faith explosive power over the centuries. It's given a picture of love unknown in the history of the world. It, 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 the Christians... Uh, living out verses like this have created waves of revival. There's something supernatural about a man or woman who dies for a stranger. In honor, Calvary Chapel, give preference to one another. When you do that, you make the world about God and not about you. Next verse, Romans 12, verse 11, says, Not lagging in diligence. Maybe a little hard to see here, but there is a, a feeling in the Greek there, not lagging in, di in, in diligence, um, meaning uh, there needs to be an energy in 
discipline, disciplining your life to do. Many of you in this coronavirus outbreak, have, it's created a lot of free time. Don't lag in diligence. Don't lag in diligence. When you do not lag in diligence, you make the world about God, not about you. Don't lag in diligence. Don't drag your feet. Create a schedule for yourself in this time and stay about the Lord's business. Might I suggest a specific time for your Bible study, a specific time for your private prayer and writing down in a journal what God is saying to you in your private prayer time. A specific time for praying with others. Might I suggest 12 noon for you English speakers. Monday through fi Friday this week with Dennis Harris at 12 noon uh, or for 3 p.m. for you Spanish speakers. Idle time leads to an idle mind and an idol's mind is where the devil wreaks havoc. Listen, Calvary Chapel, when you do not lag in diligence, Romans chapter 12, verse 11, you make the world about God, not about you. Next verse, Romans, next part of the verse, Romans chapter uh, 12, verse 11, be fervent in spirit serving the Lord. That word fer fervent, it's the word boil. That's what it is in the Greek. Be boiling in spirit, serving the Lord. One translation says, let your spirit be on fire, bubbling up and boiling over. Speaking of a zeal, of an excitement, an energy in your walk with God. Again, a feeling. So, 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 yeah, so again, a feeling. What did we begin with here? You, in order to to obey a command to feel, you got to be born again. you got to pray, help me, help me, God, I'm not feeling. you you, you got to act by faith and, and, and before the feeling and let God take care of the feelings, but, but you have to consider and dive deep in your private time with God, considering the mercy of God. How in the world did God save me with the record of sin? that I have but he did and he did it with joy that will create a fervency in your spirit but I, for this one I just want to focus on really uh, this morning one thing and that's a thing that will kill your zeal Th that will make the boiling uh, a, a bucket of ice pour, pour, uh, poured into your zeal and, and it will just cool you off it says, be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. What is going to kill that? Calvary Chapel? It's a love for money. A love for money. You know, I have been before the Lord, just confused, asking the question over the last five or six years, why this unprecedented economic boom why, Lord? It's infected your church. It's infected us. It was, it, it's so clear that the average church member um, for the past five, ten years, what they're most excited about is money, is stuff. 
houses, cars, clothes, high-priced food. That's what gets them boiling, not you, Lord. Why this economic boom that has poisoned, that has emptied the church of its power? Jesus couldn't have made it any clearer. He said in Luke chapter 6, verse 13, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. But that's exactly what the church in America we have been doing for the last 10 years. And the sooner we get out of that, the sooner as we cast it, the sooner that we cast it aside. If the history in the Bible is any indicator, the sooner that we'll get out of this. What, what are we going to do, Calvary Chapel? Listen, I want to read from President Trump's State of the Union address. It was given on uh, just a little while ago, on February 5th of this year. And please pray for our president, as we're commanded, also commanded to do in the next chapter. Today he's tuning into li a live stream service at a Calvary Chapel affiliate in, Cal in California at Harvest. Pray that he would fully, totally, completely surrender to the Lord. Abraham Lincoln was saved in office. Might President Trump be saved while he's serving in office. But I, I'm going to read from his State of the Union address, and I want to be very, very clear here. I'm not picking on President Trump. It ne reads not much different than almost all the other presidents for the last 40 years, whether they were Republican or Democrat. I'm going to, uh, to read it starting at the beginning. This is President Trump just a, few, just a number of weeks ago on February 5th. He said these three years... He said, three years ago, we launched the Great American Comeback. Tonight I stand before you to share the incredible results. Jobs are booming. Incomes are soaring. Poverty is plummeting. Crime is falling. Confidence is surging. And our country is thriving and highly respected again. America's enemies are on the run. Americans' fortunes are on the rise. And America's future is blazing bright. The years of economic decay are over. The days of our country being used, taken advantage of, even scorned by other nations are long behind us. Gone too are the broken promises, the jobless recoveries, the tired platitudes and constant excuses for the depletion of American wealth, power and prestige. In just three short years we have shattered the mentality of American decline and we have rejected the downsizing of America's destiny. We are moving forward at a pace and was, that was unimaginable just a short time ago and we are never, ever going back. I am thrilled to report to you tonight that our economy is the best it has ever been. The vision I will lay out this evening demonstrates how we are building the world's most prosperous and inclusive society. One every citizen can join in America's one where every citizen can join in America's unparalleled success and where every community can take part in America's extraordinary rise. Since my election, U.S. stock markets have soared 70%, adding more than $12 trillion to our nation's wealth. 
transcending anything anyone ever believed was possible. This is a record. It is something that every country in the world is looking up to. They admire. Consumer confidence has just reached amazing new heights. The, all those millions of people with 401ks and pensions are doing far better than they ever have been before. Increases of 60, 70, 80, 90, and 100 percent and even more. Calvary Chapel, we as a church, both Calvary chapels in the city and the church in the United States of America, we have drunk, we have drunk down to the dregs the, and, and become intoxicated with the very thing, the very intoxication that is, that is, is resulting in, in this speech being read, declared, and throughout it, by the way, there's just, there's applause. And again, I'm not picking on President Trump. This is the same with Democrats and Republican uh, presidents for the last 40 years. Uh, it, it, but in six weeks after that speech, almost overnight, all those words have become meaningless. We, we, we read the words now and we look with horror. How did we drink from that? How did we go there? It has depleted our fervency for the Lord. No wonder we haven't been boiling hot. Jesus says, I would you know, rather you be hot or cold, but lukewarm. I, I spit you out of, the mouth, out of my mouth. No wonder we, we're not boiling in fervencies. We've drunk the wine, this intoxicating wine of, of economic prosperity. That is not how we are, how we behave when we're living in God's world and making it a, the world about God. Calvary Chapel, let's just once for all just rid ourselves. Just throw it aside of the love of money and just, just cast it aside. Ask the Lord for mercy to show us whenever it's creeping back in and go full on for Him, fervent in spirit, boiling in spirit serving the Lord. When you are boiling in spirit, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, you make the world about God, not about you. Next verse, verse 12, says rejoicing in hope. When you are rejoicing in hope, when you are rejoicing in faith, you make the world about God and not about you. I have to say this particular se session in my heart is that if you take anything, any of these seven commands away and what is said about these seven commands, please take away what I'm about to say. When you're rejoicing in hope, a command. It's a feeling. You're commanded to feel. You're making the world about God. When you're rejoicing in faith, you're making the world about God. No matter what else may be going around, uh, going around, you're making the world. You are 
about God, not about you. I include faith with hope because in many ways they're the same thing. They're really just two sides of the same coin. Faith is believing in God for the now. Hope is believing in God for the future. Now, this is so important. Where there is real faith, there's joy. Where there is real hope, there is joy. So let's look at a couple of verses. Where there is hope, there is joy. Philippians 1.25 says this. This is the Apostle Paul, same person who uh, wrote the book of Romans. I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. Notice how it says joy of faith. Where there's faith, there's joy. Hebrews 15.25 13 says this, rather Romans 15, 13 says this, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope. That you may abound in hope. You see, where there's faith, there's joy. Where there's uh, hope, there's joy. Now, when we are rejoicing in hope, when we are rejoicing in faith, We make the world about God, not ourselves. But the enemy of hope, the enemy of faith, is fear. Fear tries to kill hope. It tries to kill faith. Our our, our flesh hates hope. Our flesh hates faith. So it comes at hope. It comes at faith with fear. When faith and hope are killed by fear, joy is gone. Joy disappears. Now listen, and you got to understand this. Faith is forged in a refiner's fire. Meaning it grows, it takes life, and, and it breaks forth in joy only after a refiner's fire. Only after you being in the refiner's fire. Just as gold and silver and iron and, uh, are forged in a fire, so is faith. Same thing with hope. Another way of putting it is, is faith and hope. They are forged in a wrestling match with God. And you can either avoid the wrestling match because it's so unpleasant, or you can get in there and there's going to be pain. Just like Jacob in the Old Testament, that wrestling match with the Lord. Where he prevailed in the sense that God blessed them. And, and, and so, uh, so fear comes in. Let, let me show you just uh, what it looks like. This wrestling match. Uh, this struggle with God where, where faith is forged in the struggle and it and and if you continue on it breaks forth into into joy fear comes in we begin to wrestle with god and what we often do in our wrestling with god our struggle with god is we demand a guarantee of something that hasn't been guaranteed to us in his word or we demand a promise that's never been promised to us in the Word of God. For example, the fear of death. With this coronavirus outbreak, I have faced the fear of death. 
I've experienced it. I, 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 I'm 56 years old. I'm in very good shape, but I, I, I do have some kind of lung condition. Requires that I do a lung spray a couple times a day. The lung spray pump. I don't have difficulty breathing, but there's some kind of inflammation down there. And, and with this whole coronavirus thing, I've not been immune to fear. I, I, I've been in the same wrestling match where my faith is forged. And it's, it's, it's built up, but the wrestling match, uh, it, the wrestling match it, 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 it's tough and it's painful. And, and, and this, is, this is what we say, God, show me, just show me, just promise me I'm going to live through this. Or perhaps it's not a fear of death. It's, there's a single person that wrestling with God. Lord, show me that, uh, uh, guarantee me that I'll be married someday. A barren couple. Just, just show me that we'll have a child. But listen, there's no, no such guarantee or, or promise in Scripture. I'm not guaranteed to live through this coronavirus outbreak. There is no such guarantee. The, the, the righteous do die. Uh, the children of God do die with, with, with the world in these calamities. There's no guarantee of any of these things in Scripture. And listen what I'm doing, when, when, what you're doing, when we try or I try to hold God. What I do, I'm holding God hostage. I'm trying to force Him to commit. And I'm making, um, the, 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 I, I'm making what I'm doing... I'm making the world all about me. And remember, that's where we began this. Lord, we've made our world about ourselves, about me. I've made my world about me. And, and when, when we demand to know, Lord, just somehow show me something that I, I know I'm going to live through this, what we're doing is we're demanding from the Lord and we're making the world about me, about us. And it's not my world. It's not your world. It's God's world. And as long as we're holding God hostage, as long as we're holding on to that argument, promise me something, where that something has never been promised in the world of God, there's, there's just going to be no joy. And by the way, I'm not saying that there may not be a word of prophecy or knowledge where you're assured of some future event. Those things do happen. It's a completely different sermon. And that's generally not how things work. Uh, because the Bible says that God delights in faith. Without faith, it's impossible to, to please God. And by faith, we proceed where there's no guarantee. Abraham, Hebrews 11, uh, it says that he went out by faith not knowing where he was going. Well, Lord, you just got to tell me. You got to no, I'm not going to do that. And and his faith pleased God. So, let's get back to the wrestling match. We want a guarantee of something that's not guaranteed, but God wrestles back. And what he does, he rem he reminds us of his word. His word that says that in all things he is good towards us. Romans chapter 8, verses uh, 28. And I've said this many times. If you're going to listen to any sermon in that series, listen to that, the sermon on that verse. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. God works all things together for good. 
to those who love God, to those who um, are called according to His purpose. Uh, the Bible says that, 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 that the Lord is abounding in goodness. Exodus 34, 6. Are we going to believe it or not? And, and, and God presents us His Word. But then He reminds us of His history in that wrestling match. This is what He does with me. He reminds me of His history with me in which He has been always faithful to work all things for good. In Mark chapter 8, he, um, the disciples um, were in a wrestling match with God, this kind of mess, wrestling match where they, there was fear there. They had no food. They were worried about it. And even though that they had already uh, seen Jesus provide bread to 5,000 people with a few loaves and 4,000 people with a few loaves. Uh, they began their wrestling things. We got no bread. We, we, we got no bread. And Jesus responded to them in Mark chapter 8. And this was a painful wrestling match. This is faith being forged. He said this. He said, you know, you have eyes, but you don't see. You have ears, but you don't hear. You, you don't understand. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said 12. Then he asked, when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many large baskets of fragments did you take up? They said seven. And he said back to them, then how is it that you don't understand? He, remind, he was reminding them of his goodness. So listen, I have no guarantee whether I'm going to live or die through this crisis. But I am guaranteed that he is good. If I live, it's because of his goodness. If I'm taken away, it's because of his goodness. Faith comes, hope comes, when I make a choice to let God be God in God's world. And I let go and I trust in his goodness. Yes, you've always been good, God. I'm just going to let go of fear and trust in your goodness. When you're rejoicing in hope, when you're rejoicing in faith, you make the world about God, not you. Okay, the last two, quickly. Romans 12, verse 12 continues, be patient in tribulation. When you are patient in tribulation, you make the world about God, not about you. All of us would love this trial. We would love this crisis, this tribulation, to just go away. But where did we begin today? When we make the world about God, we, we present our request to God, our, the cry of our heart to God, Lord, make this go away, please. We can and should be crying that. But then, if we're making it about the world about him and not me and not you, what do we do? We wait and we acknowledge and we worship and we crowd. It's your world, Lord. You do what you have decided best. We will trust in you. When you are patient in tribulation, you make the world about God, not you. And then finally, 
Romans 12, verse 12, finishes, continues, continue steadfastly in prayer. Now that word steadfast, there's an energy there. And I'm not going to spend much more time at all on it because I'm going to give a whole sermon on this the next time we're in Romans chapter 12. Next Sunday we're in e uh, Easter, probably we'll be teaching about something else there. But when you, Calvary Chapel, continue steadfast in prayer. And again, this is a feeling command. You're commanded to feel. That word steadfast, it means earnest. It means eager. It means there's, a, there's kind of a joy there. And you're, you're compelled to, to, to move on in prayer. When you do that, you make the world about God, not about you. We're gonna, I'm going to spend a sermon on that right now. We're going to go into prayer. Actually, Dan is going to, um, uh, Dan is going to, uh, Dan is going to play a worship song. But I understand that the, that the, uh, the, the, the announcements, um, we didn't get the announcements off today. Uh, I didn't. So again, there is an English prayer group. Um, at 12 noon every day this week at 12 noon and Dennis Harris is going to be uh, leading that and uh, you know maybe you're in ministry and you haven't been serving you can serve every day at 12 noon don't be lagging in diligence get in there men get in there women the Spanish prayer group is there at 3 p.m. Uh, this Friday, we have a communion service at 7 p.m. A communion service at 7 p.m. And uh, we, unlike our communion service in the past, uh, we are going to be uh, keeping all the Bible studies open this week. But let's all do a communion where we're remembering the blood, where we are remembering the broken body, and uh, lastly, our, our Zoom prayer meetings now require a password. We're going to go in now uh, into uh, those prayer meetings. Dan, um, for those of you who want to stay in worship, Dan is just going to, uh, we're going to be transitioning to back to Dan now, and he's going to uh, stay in worship time. But um, for prayer, once again, if you have a private prayer, scroll down until you see you have a private prayer and email the church. Otherwise, you can go into group prayer. If you happen to click on a link uh, that where you don't get in eventually, I believe Zoom is now requiring, because of imposters uh, into Zoom meetings, they're now requiring a little wait. But if, you're, if after a while you don't go in, go to another link. And I apologize for um, the technical difficulties getting into the prayer groups last week, but let's, let's just make the world look what God's world looks like and not our world and let's now steadfastly continue in prayer by going into the prayer groups or if you'd like to stay uh, for worship please do God bless you God bless you I love you